Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 16th, with the Sun at Galactic Degree 2021. And I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Uh, Lavendor's electricity is out uh, due to the snowstorm, so she can't call in or get online tonight. Um, And, of course, Mercury is retrograde uh, until February 20th, and you can read about that online or on our website. And just want to let you know, we sent out the invitations to the 2021 Starseed Quests just before Mercury went retrograde, and the response has been tremendous. We have four upcoming in 2021, and the May Quest is already full, while the August, October, and November Quests are about half full. These are soul family reunions, and all you need is one galactic marking on your chart, which is a 25, 26, or 27. And we do have several people who signed up for the 2020 quests, which had to be rescheduled. So if you're one of those people, we are holding some spots for you, but you need to email us uh, right away at crystals at starseedhotline.com to claim those spots. Or if you need more details, we'll fill you in. So our special guest this evening is Craig Campobasso, who has written a wonderful new book, This is the ultimate field guide to the 82 extraterrestrial species that populate the universe. ET enthusiast Craig Campobasso explores the origins, physical characteristics, technological and consciousness abilities, dimensional capacities, belief systems, and cosmic agendas of each of the species. The species fall into two categories – the benevolent races, which function as the guardians of humanity, whose goals include helping people overcome duality, healing, and protecting. And then the second um, set are the malevolent races, which are responsible for abductions, cloning, and ultimate domination. Uh, Starseeds and sci-fi fans will love this book as it delves deeply into the real extraterrestrials and who they are and what they want with the people of Earth. Craig has been one of our favorite guests since he first introduced our audience to Valiant Thor, who was an ET, uh, who visited the White House in 1957 and lived at the Pentagon for three years. Craig worked extensively with Dr. Frank Stranges, who was there in 57 and met Valiant Thor, and then wrote the book Stranger at the Pentagon. Craig is also an Emmy-nominated casting director in Hollywood and has received multiple awards for his short film, stranger at the pentagon and then joining craig later in the show is Lightstar, who's also been a guest with us before uh sharing one of her unique talents talents for light languages and she did some of the artwork for craig's book and there is a trailer for the book on youtube and um rather than give you the long confusing um url it is linked on our show page so if you just go back there you can click and get there. There are a couple of them on there, but this is the best one that I liked anyway. And then you can check out his websites, which are autobiographyofanet.com forward slash other hyphen books. And if you click that link, you'll get a signed copy. And then his other website is strangeratthepentagon.com. 
At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. We do have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it is a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can also download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Top. <laughs> blog Top. <laughs> blog Talk. <laughs> okay. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click the follow uh, button on our page and you'll get our biweekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself right now. Lavendar's sessions have been redesigned to focus on your solar return, covering your natural state, your rites of passage, and your masterships, as well as your solar return and your uh, current transits. So it's like having the whole enchilada in a one-hour session, and that will be scheduled just before your birthday. And we're going to introduce our new team of astrologers to you on our next show on March 2nd. They will also be available for the live Stage 2 sessions at, so you'll be able to have a starseed consultation in a matter of weeks rather than months. So remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you'll get a window of 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And that usually takes less than a week to get that. But if you want the stage two interpretation of that chart um, with REL, you'll need to order at least six months ahead to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours. Um, so first off tonight, I want to get back to that page. I want to introduce um, Anastasia and her wonderful Starseed News. Good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody. Great to be with you. Boy, is it cold in my neck of the woods. Lavendar's without power. Bless her heart. So many people across the country are faced with that. What a time. But here this evening, we get to talk about all kinds of news. We're going to focus on some interesting stories as well as a little discussion about some of our favorite pets and food. And so let's get started. Well, in the UK, you know, I am amazed at the innovations that they are coming up with to help have a cleaner environment and to just use this most wonderful innovation to improve our lives. Now they have a plan to turn hills in the United Kingdom into batteries. That's right, into batteries. The UK's hills and mountains could soon be the high point, pardon the pun, of green energy innovation after engineers have revealed plans to turn them into batteries to restore and store renewable energy. Now, they're borrowing technology from traditional hydropower plants, and the project would use excess green energy to pump water uphill via underground pipes. The water would then be released and flow downhill over generating turbines, and that would generate electricity. According to the Guardian newspaper, the company behind the project said its plan could see around 700 sites across the country host these hydro projects without spoiling the scenery, which would be a very good thing. UK has beautiful scenery. So, wow, isn't that something? Turning hills into batteries. And they plan on using this when there is a higher demand for electricity. This will be backup power. 
amazing. We could use some of that in Texas and in the South and Midwest right now. Extra power. Yeah, Lavender well, could use some tonight. <laughs> yes, she could, bless her heart. Absolutely. Well, now in Kenya, way down in Kenya, a materials engineer um, has learned to produce sustainable, low-cost construction materials made of recycled plastic waste and sand. Now, this woman opened a factory. It's a woman. She opened a factory in Nairobi and creates bricks from plastic waste that other facilities cannot process anymore. They can't recycle it. It's just waste. Nothing can be done with it. And every day, her factory produces about 1,500 bricks in different sizes and colors. Now, what's so interesting about this is that her product is almost five to seven times stronger than concrete. She reported to Reuters this. And she said her factory has recycled 20 tons of plastic waste since its founding in 2017. Wow. Far out. Amazing. Stronger than concrete. Can be used and not be considered as waste. Well, you know, one of my favorite things to do when the pandemic isn't around is to go into the grocery store and pick my own produce. And I'm sure all of you are pretty particular about that as well. But you'll notice that in our modern Western minds, um, we see produce that's really perfect, a perfectly plump tomato, a straight cucumber. You know, we pick and we fuss. We want to find the best-looking fruit or vegetable. People are particular about the way food looks because we've been trained that way. And if we grow a garden and maybe neighbor brings us some cucumbers or some other vegetables and everything's crooked, if we've been uh, raised by metropolitan standards, we might kind of do a sniff at that because it doesn't look perfect. And so that is a, a culturally ingrained thing. And we think that if an apple's bruised or a banana's brown or a potato's starting to sprout, that that whole piece of fruit or vegetable is just inedible. And the same is true for crooked carrots, uh, uh, peppers that are sideways, <laughs> crooked pineapples, things like that. And food that's deemed too ugly is thrown away. Uh, oh. They just throw it out. Surprisingly, 40% of the food produced in the United States is wasted at different points along the supply chain. Farmers, distributors, stores, and consumers are all guilty of throwing away perfectly good food, and this reason has to do with the aesthetics of the food itself. How does it look? Is somebody going to buy it? Is it just going to sit there? And so produce is really susceptible in this way because apparently nobody likes a crooked cucumber. And But now, thankfully, um, we have companies that are rising up to combat this wasteful behavior. They're called ugly produce companies. And so <laughs> ugly produce companies <laughs> have sprung up in recent years that fight this egregious waste of perfectly good food. And I'm going to tell you about four companies. One of them is called the Misfits Market. Now, this focuses specifically on customers that live in urban or highly populated areas. According to their website, the company works directly with farmers and makers to rescue any organic produce or grocery items that might otherwise have gone to waste. And then there's a company called Imperfect Foods. Now, this is like the Misfits Markets, but Imperfect Foods focuses on metropolitan areas as well, but it does deliver to 25 cities nationwide. And unlike other companies, this particular one allows customers to customize their food boxes. You could add other pantry items as well. 
Now, this company employs their own delivery drivers, which means delivery options are limited. So, again, you have to live in a metropolitan area to get it. There's a company called Hungry Harvest. They deliver to nine states, and it's still expanding. And, and then there's Preserve Farm Kitchens. You can look this up on the Internet. And they don't send you the produce, but what they do is they collect all of the ugliest fruits and veggies, and they mix them into this array of preserves and cooked, cooked items. Now, man, this is pretty expensive stuff. I mean, their, their jars run from about 12 to $15 each or 30 to $50 for bundles. Um, you know, a really good idea, a really good solution to this, folks, is just start planting your own garden and gobble up all of your imperfect food with delight because you will have grown it yourself. But it's good to know about that, that these companies are trying to salvage this food and make it available to people. I think that's outstanding. It would be nice if some brilliant starseed would come up with a way to start their own misfit food market or misfit food uh, company and find a way to make that even a bit more affordable and far-reaching for other people. You could do that in your community. It would be a great thing to do. If you live in an agricultural community and you like gardening and you you know, you know like food, it would be a great thing to do. Start your own misfit food company and, and help out. It is a shame that all that's wasted. Well, anyway, this is an amazing story. The photograph of this man, I had to scratch my head at this article. I saw his photograph and thought, oh, surely he cannot be 104 years old. But the article says that he is. And this is a 104-year-old man who lives in Colombia who's finally finished his doctoral thesis and in the process has solved a 200-year-old enigma. Now, again, this 104-year-old man, I keep stressing that because, honest to goodness, this is incredible. Anyway, he did all of this. He lives in Colombia, and he credits the COVID-19 lockdown for helping him finally complete his dissertation. This man lives in Medellin. He received a bachelor's degree in civil engineering in Colombia. Then he earned a master's degree in science and technology in England 70 years ago. And he's been working on his Ph.D. thesis for the last 30 years. He was working on a complicated math problem that has to be solved before his thesis could be finished. And this year it happened. He said, my Ph.D. is about determining the maximum amount of water that can be sustainably taken from a river for energy and other purposes. Now, this isn't a new puzzle. It's more than 200 years old, but this man says he has solved it. Now, he admits the COVID-19 lockdown allowed him to focus completely on his research, and it was his way of making the best of the situation. And if his dissertation is approved, he'll get his doctorate title. He has six children, 12 grandchildren, six great-grandchildren. He was married for 67 years before his wife passed away. But he did tell his local press there in Colombia that his family has been his biggest achievement. What the article does not tell us is the solution to this, this enigma of how to sustainably use water. But when he gets his doctorate, I'm sure that will be released, and maybe we'll all hear about it, and hopefully uh, we'll apply that. It's a complex mathematical problem. Nobody's been able to figure it out. So I'm in suspense here. Is this going to work? And if it does, how brilliant. 104 years old, getting his doctorate after 70 years of waiting for it. Actually, longer than that, 70 years since he got his master's degree and working on his uh, Ph.D. for 30 years is really remarkable. Isn't that something? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I want to talk about baby food. Um, I think you all need to know this. Maybe you have friends with children or somebody in your family, or maybe you have children. Maybe you want children. But um, when buying baby food, we all want to be able to trust our food companies and the government regulations that we can feel confident that the children are going to be safe. But a subcommittee of the U.S. House of Representatives released a a report last week revealing that inorganic arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury are found in baby foods from seven popular brands. There is the Nurture brand, Beechnut, Hain Celestial Group, Gerber, Campbell Soup Company, Walmart, and Sprout Organic Foods. And as the report notes, both the FDA and the World Health Organization classify arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury as toxic heavy metals that can cause serious and irreversible damage to brain development, especially to babies and children. Some of the baby foods tested contained hundreds of parts per billion of these toxic metals. Now, Beechnut, Gerber, Hain, and Nurture responded with their internal testing procedures, test results, and information about what they did when products or ingredients did not meet testing standards. However, Campbell, Sprout, and Walmart all declined to provide this information, which the subcommittee worries may indicate a cover-up of the presence of even higher levels of toxic metals. Now, interestingly enough, the Trump administration knew and ignored this information. According to the subcommittee, the Trump administration has a part to play in why this issue has not been resolved. According to the report, in August 2019, the FDA under Trump watched a secret industry presentation that revealed that baby food ingredient testing was not indicative of the final safety pro- uh, uh, the safety of the final products, and the testing of final products should be required. They took no action after witnessing this presentation. So if the ingredients on a, bar, a jar of baby food says strained peas and says the contents is only peas, then how do toxic metals get in there? Well, according to the FDA, these metals are found in the soil, water, and air and can contaminate the food supply that way, unbeknownst to the manufacturer. And they say because this cannot be completely removed, our goal is to reduce exposure to toxic elements in foods to the greatest extent feasible. And that's what FDA told, told Reuters in a statement. Um, wow. Okay. Cannot be completely removed. There it is. So there are ways to make your own baby food. It might be time to be doing that. And who does not love chocolate? Chocolate. We all love chocolate. We're women. Women love chocolate. Most (laughs) of us do anyway. I mean, come on. Chocolate is divine, right? Well, good news and bad news. Cacao trees are currently threatened. I'm going to tell you about that. You might have heard wind of it, rumors about it. According to this article, though, it's not really so much of a rumor. Uh, And by the way, cacao trees have forever been known as the food of the gods. Um, And it's native to South America. You know, cocoa is produced, chocolate, is created from thousands of small flowers every year that produce massive fruits that contain between 30 and 60 cacao seeds each. Now, these seeds are processed. They're made into chocolate. But they say with the ongoing climate crisis, the tropical tropical fruit-bearing trees might be on the brink of extinction. Really? That's dreadful. Well, for these trees to produce fruit, the flowers require pollinating. But only 10 to 20% 
of the cacao flowers are generally pollinated, according to Echo Watch, which means 90% of the flowers die within 36 hours of opening. Well, scientists are looking at pollinators, um, specific insects, which seem to be relying on cacao plants, plants less and less. In other words, for some reason, they're abandoning their pollinating responsibilities. They don't know what's going on. They don't know whether it's climate change, uh, shifts in agricultural practices, or what is going on. Now, cacao trees can only thrive within 10 degrees of either side of the equator. They have to have stable temperatures, high humidity, lots of rain. And so they're expecting that climate change is going to create a die-out by 33% in 2050, by 2050. Well... Here's what they're doing. They're trying to solve the problem. So what have they done? Pretty ingenious. This is the good news part. Farmers are currently starting to implement hand pollinating techniques so humans can manually pollinate the trees and ensure the flowers don't go to waste. Clever. A lot of work, though, very labor-intensive. So that's the good news. Bad news, chocolates might be endangered. Good news is people are trying to figure out ways to pollinate the flowers so we can have our chocolate which is wonderful. Thank you, guys. Thanks for pollinating the cacao flowers. Um, <laughs> you know, we really, I can't imagine a world without, if there's no chocolate in this world, I'm never coming back. That's it. I'm done. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, let's talk about dogs and cats for a minute. We love our dogs. Have you ever wondered about your dog's sleeping position? Probably not. <laughs> But this article talks about it, and I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to share share it with you. So what does your dog's sleeping position mean? Have you ever thought about it? Probably not. But as it turns out, your dog's sleeping position can indicate a number of different things about their mental and physical well-being. Each one of the positions that I'm going to tell you about indicates something different about the way your dog is feeling. But you have to take all of this with a grain of salt because if your dogs are like many dogs, they're special and unique, and they all have their different habits. But in general, there's such a thing called the Superman position when a dog sleeps. And the Superman position is when your dog is laying on their belly with their paws out in front and behind them. Oh, we've seen that. Now, according to a magazine called Dog Time, a lot of puppies and high-energy dogs adopt this position because it allows them to wake and jump right into the playtime. It's a position for dogs who don't want to miss a moment or for those who need to fly in and save the day at a moment's notice, the Superman flight. And then there's the dog that likes to sleep on his side. Many dogs like that. They say it's a common position for puppies, but also for older dogs who might be suffering from joint pain. Now, the mattress company Casper contributed to this article, and they say that dogs that sleep in this position are generally in a very deep sleep. It signifies that your dog feels safe and relaxed in their environment. They don't have to tense up. They don't have to sleep on guard. Then there's the position that they call the lion at the gates. Now, this is a lion's pose, which means that the dog is sleeping to look like a sphinx with her head on top of their front paws. And they say that that's also so. The dog feels like it might need to snap into action. Perhaps they're, you're doing something, maybe you're in your kitchen and the dog wants to be beside you. Maybe he wants to sleep at the back door and the kids are outside. 
he knows somebody's outside in the family, he'll he'll lay down and sleep like that because he doesn't know when he's going to be needed. So that's their partial I'm guarding everyone sleep position. And then there's the donut. That's a dog who's trying to protect himself or trying to get used to an unfamiliar environment. Veterinarians tell us that dogs that adopt the donut position also might be trying to keep warm. But they say that dogs that have lived outside a lot or who have been stray often sleep in this position. They do that for security, the donut position. Then there's dogs who like to burrow under blankets, and they say that they are looking for comfort or security. And some dogs just just like that. They're used to it. They say that dogs that like to burrow under blankets uh, tend to be affectionate but more needy. They just kind of want to be cuddled all the time. And finally, the exposed belly. Oh, it's so cute to see a dog sleeping with his legs up and his bare belly sticking out. And your dog that sleeps on his belly could mean a couple of things. First of all, for sure, they have complete trust in you. Or maybe they're just hot. But according to dog authorities, dogs that sleep belly up in the summer months are trying to keep cool. Otherwise, it just means that your dog is so comfortable with you. When a dog rolls up and shows you their belly, it means they trust and love you enough to be vulnerable. They know you're not going to hurt them, and they feel very, very safe. So, why does your cat stare at you? Let's talk about cats for a minute. Have you ever just turned away from the TV or turned back and looked at your cat and found that they were staring at you the whole time? I have. (laughs) And if you've experienced one of these intense moments, you're not alone. Because since time immemorial, humankind has found itself wondering... What does it mean when my cat stares at me? What's going on? Well, our our ancestors had a whole bunch of interesting and sometimes paranormal reasons for this peculiar feline behavior, but perhaps modern science offers a more reasonable explanation. Well, it's hard to tell, really, when your cat is staring at you. You know, my husband, who's not a cat person, mind you, (laughs) thinks that cats are staring at us because they're plotting to kill us. (laughs) And (laughs) according to cat authorities, people used to believe all sorts of strange things about cats. Some people believe cats of certain colors uh, granted good or bad luck or that they might even steal a baby's breath. Others believe that they were conduits to the afterlife or that if you looked into their eyes, you could catch a glimpse into the fairy world. There's no proof that any of this is untrue, mind you, but let's have a you know, talk about folklore instead of science. So the reality is, the scientific reason is, cats stare at us for a number of reasons, but none of them are particularly sinister. First of all, your cat stares at you probably because he wants food. It doesn't matter if he's already eaten either, especially if you happen to be holding something that your cat finds irresistibly delicious. In fact, cat eye contact often signifies a wordless way of letting you know that they're hungry, according to a Purina uh, cat behavior scientist. And he says, though, it depends on the cats. Other cats might just meow to get food. Now, also, your cat can stare at you if it's angry. As it turns out, my husband's assessment about cats plotting our demise isn't entirely off base because, according to Pet MD, a cat's penetrating stare can mean that they're about to attack. In these cases, the stare is coupled with a few other telltale signs. In addition to direct eye contact, cats that are ready to pounce usually exhibit pupil dilation, a stiffer body posture, 
Their ears are pulled back and a tail that swishes from side to side. Also, many domestic cats that exhibit this behavior are looking to a play, are looking to play with you and not attack. Now, sometimes cats stare at you because they're actually a scaredy cat. When cats stare at you and are crouched down with their tail tucked under their body, you might be dealing with a fraidy cat. This is doubly true if your cat is staring at you from a t- high atop, you know, like on top of the refrigerator or a shelf or way up there, or under a uh, piece of furniture. Anything could have spooked them. So just try and calm things down with a treat, give them a toy, give them some soft shushing noises. But food, they say, is usually the best way to make your cat forget his fears. Now, lastly, why is the cat staring at you? I've had this experience. And I know this sounds dubious to some, but it's entirely possible that your cat is staring out of love. Now, cats might not be as overly affectionate as dogs in general, but that doesn't mean that they don't understand love and affection. A long, unblinking stare isn't how you and I show each other affection, but according to the Purina experts, cats do this sort of thing all the time. If that stare is followed up by a behavior known as cat eye kisses, then it could mean your cat really loves you. When a cat looks at you with their eyelids half closed and slowly blinks, those are eye kisses. This is a sign true admiration and trust. You can usually answer this sign of affection with some gentle petting or doing the same with them. Half close your eyelids, slowly blink, and then you know, you'll get some purring for all of that. They understand love. Eyelids half closed. It means that they're safe and that you're, they're safe with you. And then you give that signal back. And that is a full exchange of the I love you's from human to cat and cat to human. And I've had eye kisses from cats before and it just melts your heart. It's a wonderful thing. So a little bit about cats and dogs, about the environment, about food tonight. I want to leave you with a quote. It's a good one. Christopher Reeve said this. He said, he ought to know about heroes, don't you think, since he's played parts of one. He said, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Wow. Well, I guess a lot of us, ordinary people right now, are heroes. Given all the things that we're enduring and persevering through, we're learning how to be heroes today in this time in life. From my heart to each one of you, much, much love. You all take good care. Have a beautiful next couple of weeks. Hang on. The weather will break. Spring is coming. The red buds will be blooming. The daffodils will be coming up. Things are good. I love all of you. Have a great night, everybody, a great couple of weeks. Thank you, Ariel, for letting me be on the show. I greatly enjoy my time with all of you. Thanks so much. Oh, you're so welcome, and you do a great job. Thanks for the news tonight, Anastasia, and we'll see you in two weeks. Sure we will. Night-night. Okay. Night-night. Okay. So um, I am going to bring Craig on. Let's get your mic open. There we go. Can you hear me? There we go. Yes. How are you, Craig? Perfect. I'm so good. I always love listening to Anastasia and and being here with you. And, of course, I'm just sending my love out to Lavendar, who's, like, sitting somewhere going, darn. Yeah. 
<laughs> dark and cold. <laughs> I can't get I can't get on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I know she we was. Love you, Lavendar. Looking forward to to visiting with you tonight, but um, you know she's she's okay. She just nothing can do when the power's out. We don't realize how, how right. much we depend on electricity. Uh, it's so yeah. true. So, it's so true. Yeah. So I have got to tell you that um, I, I got your book uh, for Christmas, and 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 Christmas Day I, I had to read it, and that was like, oh my God, I couldn't put it down. Just oh, fascinating. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's wow. a beautiful book. I mean, the illustrations. I mean, it is really, you know, triple A quality, uh, a keepsake kind of book here. But uh, I just yes. I wanted to ask you, um, what motivated you to do this book? Well, interestingly enough, my my literary book agent called me uh, out of the blue, and he said, I have an idea for a book, and I know I can sell it. And he said, I already have the title. It's called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, and you're the man to write that book. And I thought about it for literally two seconds, and I said, oh, I could totally write that book. And he said, drop a proposal and uh, send it to me. So it took me a couple days. I did a proposal. He sold that book within four days, and I was writing the book the week after that. So I, I had to sit back and say, wow, nothing book deals don't happen that fast. Things don't happen like that. And I, I just went, the universe must want this book out there for some reason. And this all took place in, I believe, 2019. And uh, they had the book up for pre-sale, I think, for about six months in 2020, and the actual book release was January 1st. But Amazon had so many orders to fulfill, they fulfilled them early. So lots of people got their books right before Christmas, around Christmas Eve, and people were sending me pictures, holding their books, and and so excited about it. So I I just I just had the best time writing it, and um, and and yeah, all the artwork is great, and we even got some real pictures of extraterrestrials in there. We have some uh, a male and female Clarion. Uh, we've got Valiant Thor in there as well, and then an unknown alien uh, whose picture I took when I was researching a case uh, in the Carolinas, and uh, he wasn't there when uh, I was snapping the pictures. Uh, the the abductee was telling me when he had come home after having this abduction experience that they were walking out of his backyard, which is a wooded area. So he was taking me through there and another friend of ours. And I just was snapping pictures. And the next morning, lying in the hotel room, I started flicking through all the digital pictures, and there I found him. So I, I made uh, him the unknown alien um, as the last entry in the book, which is uh, was just fascinating. Wow. 
I had no idea. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I got the got the book uh, on my lap here, and I'm I'm looking unknown alien. Oh, it's a very it's the very last one. So he uh, this being was probably about six three, very short legs, almost like up to where our knees are, and then a very long wide torso. Uh, two two uh, arms, a longish neck, and then a sort of oval-shaped head. And he's holding, or she, is holding an interdimensional device like a light. And the minute I saw that, I went, oh, that's an interdim- interdimensional device. And then when I lightened up the photo, um, the being is wearing goggles. And I immediately thought, oh, this is probably how they're able to see interdimensionally like we use night vision binoculars. Hmm. So, yeah, and then uh, uh, the person, the abductee, said to me, they, that being wanted you to take his picture because there is no way they would allow anyone to take their picture but unless they want you to. So... Um, so I found that very, uh, very fascinating. And then the very next photograph right after that was these long streams of plasma falling from the sky, streamers filling the entire thing. I put that photo in the book as well. So, yeah, isn't that fascinating? Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I was literally feet away from this being that was interdimensional and didn't know it. Wow. So, so yeah, 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 and I think yeah, if they if they don't want their picture taken, um you can't. So Right. I mean That's I've heard right. other people say that. So apparently um they were kind of breaking the breaking the veil a little bit there for you. A little yes, for so sure. Cool. For sure. Right. Yeah. Well so of course then the the next the next question is like, how do, how do you know this stuff? Well, what I what I did is, uh, since the age of twenty six, I became very immersed in the UFO community, um, which throughout the year sort of led into paranormal because I have a lot of a lot of my friends are in the UFO community and and big muckety mucks you know, on TV shows and the paranormal world as well. And so I've learned about a lot of contactee cases. Um, I've learned a lot of abduction cases. Um, and a lot of these are from a lot of older books, like like the Valiant Thor story was from the 50s, Right. And a lot of people forget about all the human extraterrestrial contact that this planet had because once the greys came on the scene, it all became about the greys and the reptiles and, and the humans sort of got erased. So, so what I did was is I went and I picked out a lot of my favorite cases. Now, um, for instance, um, I, Wendell Stevens, Colonel Wendell Stevens, he did about 60-some contactee books in his lifetime. 
So he was a major UFO researcher. And so these were all over the world that were having direct contact with extraterrestrials that were human. Um, Some were um, uh, in the book. They're called regalians. They're sort of a cross between uh, uh, lizard-looking beings and um, and, and a a human sort of form. They're very... uh, 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 they were not uh, malevolent. They were uh, more neutral, and and they had abducted a 14-year-old Cherokee girl and brought her on board the craft and hooked her up to a machine that their brains were hooked up to so that they could actually have a conversation with her. And because of this hookup, they she was able to remember the entire... Um, time that she was on the ship and she really enjoyed it and really actually liked this being. So um, that one, that one uh, book is called UFO Contact from Beyond Ragdell, a Cherokee girl's odyssey. Now all of, so I took a lot of these Wendell Stevens books uh, with permission uh, from his estate. And, um, and so I used several of them, uh, in the book, and also, um, if people are interested in reading these old contactee books, it's uh, the website's ufophotoarchives.com, and I think you can even buy all 60 plus PDFs for a, a, a small stipend as well. Um, another one of my favorite cases is um, the Clarion. Um, there, there were several people on the planet who had uh, contact with Clarion. Um, Elizabeth Clarer, she has an amazing story if anybody hasn't seen that. But I actually uh, went and uh, went through Maurizio Cavallo, who is having contact with them. And he actually has photographs that he's taken of them, and he allowed me to reproduce them in the book. So... The male being's na- name is Sewell, S-U-E-L-L, and the female, her name is uh, Nelfa, and she deals with astral biology and chronoastronomy, uh, sort of the measurements between the dimensions and things when they're traveling, uh, between dimensions, between uh, things when they're hopping across the universe or jumping across the universe, so... Um, and there's also uh, time um, uh, timekeepers as well that that calculate the time and that kind of thing. And he was in contact with a Venusian timekeeper, whose photograph uh, I also saw. It's not I didn't print it in the book, but very interesting looking being, long angular head, eyes, big brown eyes, but. One of the pupils is as large as his eye, and the other pupil is normal, which I just found, uh, you know, really interesting. Also, um, another contactee down in South America is Ricardo Gonzalez, who's having contact with being from Alpha Centauri. Um, Well, he is invited uh, when he's had gatherings. One was out here 
in Mount Shasta several years ago. A friend of mine was actually there, and there were a certain amount of people that were allowed to go into the forest where they come through. Um, it's sort of like taking a giant half circle that they project into space, and then their, their images are projected in there, and it's called the Zendra. So you could be standing before them, and they're in this, in this Zendra, and you can have this conversation with them. So, um, so these were my favorite cases. And um, uh, also, Ricardo and his artists allowed me to uh, reprint the representations of um, the two beings, Antaral and Idika, who are, uh, who are his main contacts. And uh, so, so what we're finding is a lot, of, um, a lot of contacts that people have are because they are very heart-based individuals. So, so a lot of the information is gathered from there. It's gathered from um, uh, my own channeling as well in certain other races. Um, there's 82 races in the book. But there was there is a whole plethora more of races. Um, the Alpha Centaurians say that they know of one million nineteen thousand races in the universe. But then, if you go to the Arantia book, Earth's Earth registration number in the universe is five trillion three hundred and forty-two billion. Four hundred and eighty-two million three hundred and thirty-seven thousand and six hundred and sixty-six. That's the number of our planet in this universe. And are those habited so, planets, or just planets yeah, that have been mapped? Planets, planets. But but there um, there is uh, the Arantia book does tell you the number of inhabited planets and I don't have that information in front of me. So um, there, there are lots uh, and you know, when, when beings venture out and things like that, like one race uh, that's in here in the book, the uh, Itapurians, their world was dying out or their whole ecosystem and everything was dying. So, so they sought out um, some new planets, and what they did is there were three in the in uh, vicinity. And so what they did is they moved in time segments um, their people, their their uh, animal life, um, uh, water, uh, 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 aquatic beings in timed increments, and then they made one planet just a heart based planet and then the the third planet was then where they put all of their machinery because they found that machinery caused cancer in their society so they put it on its own planet and this is how they um, started to live longer uh, lifespans uh, etc so very interesting to read about all these different races. I will um, be quite intrigued because I know I am. So I, so uh, we did a thumbnail review of the races and 
So we talk about their universal origin, their physical characteristics, their belief system, their cosmic agenda, technology, consciousness abilities, and their dimensional capacities. So now all of the enlightened um, beings, um, they all share their technology. They share everything. They're telepathic. They can't hide a secret if they wanted to right it's all telepathic <laughs> yeah. it's sharing it's it's sharing your feeling body and your true and your truth of yourself with every person you come in contact with and it's quite a most beautiful and humbling experience and i've experienced it quite a lot um being an experiencer so um anyway so what i did is i not to be repetitive in the book but in the back of the book, I designed a whole section of the whole Galactarian alignment of space peoples and planets, technology, their motherships, starships, thought ships, plasma ships, fleet ships, scout ships. And then we did a, a section on the um, uh, cosmic laws because a lot of people want to know what the cosmic laws are. So there's the cosmic laws, then there's the cosmic laws for people who break cosmic laws, which are two different sets. And then, and then there are the undermonic laws of the dark beings as well. So, so there's that. And then there's a little section of the terminology of extraterrestrial uh, worlds of things uh, that people can go back and they can also reference. Um, I also did a further reading in the back of the book. Uh, so if you liked uh, reading about the Clermers, you could go to the back of the book and find out where you can get that source material. So it's, it's uh, so there's so much. And then, of course, all the artwork and everything, uh, you know, getting all that together and uh, for all the races and all of that. So, it was a whole lot of fun putting it together. I really enjoyed it. Wow. I mean, it is, it's, it's just fascinating. And it's, it, it's, yes. a, it, the, um, the way you've, I mean, you've broken it down so that it's, it's more of a reference book. It's not like a story. Right. Like a, right. Like a novel, you know? So, um, yeah. And there, I mean, <laughs> well, there the, are so, the so many races it, in here that I never even heard of. I know. So, and how, I well, mean, go ahead. Go ahead. I no, was going to say how many. The purpose of the, nope, go ahead. You go. <laughs> We're playing <laughs> ping pong here. I was just going to say how many of these 82 species have bloodlines on this planet? Well, there's quite a lot of the human races, Pleiadian races, Clermer, uh, the beings, I believe, from planet Colbath. Um, it sounds like cold ass, but it's K-O-L-D-A-S. Somebody started laughing the other night when I said cold ass, and they're like, did you say cold ass? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, yes, I mean, there, there's quite a lot of all that DNA that is, you know, that's been on this planet for a very, very long time. I mean, we are all hybrids of the universe. And we're waking up to all of that. And every, every, everyone knows, especially with star seeds and, and uh, uh, 
everything that comes along with that. You you wake up a lot quicker and you quicken your spirituality to help raise the consciousness on the planet. And everyone starts recognizing uh, all of their different uh, attributes and their their uh, makeup a lot. And people just know it's just within them. So, so I find that extremely fascinating. But also the purpose of the book is it's a great reference for when we rejoin society, universal society, but also if you're interested in a being, the purpose of it is for you to go and research more about them online or through the source material. And what about the cover image? What what is the cover image? image? The cover image was done up by the uh, publisher, um, and they have an artist uh, there, and I had no idea. Uh, I mean, they're the ones that always put the book cover together, and so when I saw it, I kind of jumped back a little bit, and then I was looking, you know, I was looking, and I was like, oh, it's a female, oh, and she's benevolent. And and that kind of thing, because the actual serpent being, which is a different photograph in the uh, in the book, um, those are benevolent beings as well. And some of them uh, live underground and have interacted with uh, the Aztecs, uh, with India um, and uh, and especially with American Indians. So, uh, and in a good way in helping and sharing knowledge and wisdom. So uh, that was really fascinating. So, yes, so they came up with that cover, and everyone seems to love that cover. It, it definitely jumps out at you, doesn't it? Well, it, because it's, it's clearly, um, I mean, if you put Valiant Thor on the cover, it's it just like, well, he's just the guy off the street. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, we can we can talk about Valiant Thor, um, but I mean, and his pictures in this book as well. Um, yes. Well, just, just, is he in like in the Venusian section? Yes. No, he is under no. created beings. Under created beings. Okay, so it's a good thing created you put this in, al- in alphabetical order. Yeah. Order. So, you know. Yes. Yeah, on page yes, fifty-four. He's under created beings. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, created beings. Yeah. So I mean, if they'd put him on the cover, um, it wouldn't have had nearly the impact because he just looks like a movie star. He does look you like know what a I mean? movie star. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the first time I saw him, I thought he kind of looked a little bit like uh, a very young Jimmy Stewart. Um, right. A lot of people say that. Yeah. A lot of people say that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they, just, uh, I mean you know, this, this one photo. Right. Yeah. Well, there were several hundred taken that day, but we only were, uh, were left with a little handful of them. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I've searched high and low for all the rest of them. You know, what happened to August Roberts, uh, the photographer's, uh, you know, his whole collection. Where did it go after he passed away many, many years ago? So if anyone's listening, call me. <laughs> you know where they right. are. I would love to right. see all of them. So. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, you kind of already um, 
covered the question I was waiting with, you know, so, I mean, you've selected 82, but obviously there are far more yes. species in the, well, in the universe well, that we just don't know about. Right, yes, and I, I, um, I selected 82 because the Honorable Paul Hellyer, the former Canadian Minister of Defense, on a, on a program said that he knew of 82 races visiting Earth. So I, I had to pick a number. So I picked 82 in honor of him. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So um, now um, I wanted to ask you about the um, story that you were, we were talking about before the show and how you um, had been searching for your biological father. What happened yes. in that search? Well, I, I, uh, I found out that uh, my dad was my stepdad when I was 12. My mom told me, and, uh, and I didn't look at him any differently because he's always been my dad. But as I got older and the Internet came up, I, all I knew was my biological father's name. My mother lost contact with, them, with him, um, and uh, their affair was brief. And um, so uh, I met a genealogist who was like my fourth or fifth cousin. And she said, um, I asked her if she could find him. And she said that she could. And she did. And she told me that he had passed away in 2006. And so I, I never got a chance to meet him. But she told me where he was buried. I went down to... Um, uh, to the cemetery, and they gave me a name of the person who called when he passed. I looked the person up. He lived around the corner from me. He had a different last name than my biological father. And so I wrote him a letter, and I put my picture in there and said, if you know anybody in his family, please pass it along. I get a phone call a couple days later from his son who said that they received the package and I said, oh, was your dad friends uh, with him? And he said, no, it's actually his half-brother. And I said, are you kidding me? And I go, so you're my cousin? And he said, yes, I am. And, and he said, but you look just like him. That's why we're calling. And, and I was connected into him through DNA, and then my uncle went and did a DNA test, and he said, oh, my God, they connected us in right away. So I go to dinner with my uncle and uh, one of his three sons, uh, the one who called, and I said, please just tell me everything you know about him. And, and so an hour into the conversation, he was telling me that he was in uh, the air guard before he was 18, and their mother had to sign a piece of paper for him to go. When he was 18, he was put right into the Air Force. And then as an afterthought, he said, oh, and by the way, your father was in Project Blue Book. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Uh, I mean, I, like the farthest thing from my mind was that. And I said, well, what did he do? And he said, we don't know. Um, and then my cousin said, yeah, me and my brother are into this. And we used to try and get it out of him, but he would never talk. Uh, but my uncle thought because of, he would have been in his early 20s, he was a very fast typist, 
that he was probably a paper pusher uh, for one of the generals and probably typed up a lot of those reports. Now, interestingly enough, he is there during the same time that Valiant Thor is at the Pentagon, and it has crossed my mind, wouldn't it have been interesting if he typed up the Valiant Thor Project Blue Book report? Oh, my gosh. I've got chills all over me. I, I do, too, but... Things, I mean, like my whole body is ringing with chills right now, right? So anyway, um, the it, it's just so fascinating because um, the because first off, um, for those of you that don't know, Project Blue Book is the uh, Air Force study on unidentified flying objects that started in 1952 and it was decommissioned in January of 1970, and it investigated over 11,000 sightings, and its main study was to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and scientifically analyze UFO-related data, right? And then here, the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac is a MUFON book, which is a UFO-based, I mean, a U.S.-based nonprofit comprised of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings. Now, when he left the Air Force, he came back to Los Angeles, and he met my mother. I, uh, she, she became pregnant, and then in his later life, he got married many, a few years later. He met the love of his life. And he became the head of construction at Warner Brothers Studios building movie and television sets. Oh, my gosh. Podcast movies and television, right? And then when after that, he left there, started his own scenic shop, and he used to build all the sets for the Hollywood Bowl, and he built sets for concerts, um, and sometimes he designed them, like he designed an Alice Cooper tour and built that set. Uh, he built sets for Michael Jackson, uh, Elton John, Neil Diamond. Um, he even built the sets for that Bing Crosby, David Cros- uh, Bing Crosby, David Bowie special. Oh wow! Right. I just saw that. I just so, saw that. <laughs> yeah, on YouTube over Christmas. Oh wow! Yeah, right. I know. So, anyway, I I mean, never in a million years would I have thought that's what that's what would I have discovered when I when I found uh, him and and who he was. So it all makes perfect sense to me now. And now I know who he was and he was a very good man and everyone loved and adored him and cherished him. And, um, and his three stepkids uh, flew out and met with me and I talked to them from time to time and they're just lovely and they just have great fond memories of him. So, um, he worked with UFOs and, and he worked in Hollywood. So I guess the, you know, right. the fruit didn't fall far from the tree. From the tree, right. Yeah. 
So um, if you if you could just um, as succinctly as you can um, go a little bit more into the Valiant Thor. And for those that of you listening, we've got episodes in our archives where Craig tells the whole story of how that came about. But just kind of give it in a nutshell um, about Valiant Thor, I, 1957. I, I and, will. I will. First off, before before I start, in case I forget at the end, if anyone wants to watch the short film. They can watch it at StrangerAtThePentagon.com, and all of Dr. Frank's out-of-print books are there as well. Um, Also, if you have Amazon Prime, it's also on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it there. Um, Also, and before I forget, I am now making the E.T. Species Almanac into a documentary, so that should be out by the end of the year as well. Oh, excellent. um, Yes. So um, Valiant Thor, uh, it, it was it was brought uh, some some ETs came well before Valiant Thor came on March 16, 1957, to announce that he would be coming and arranged it that a Universal emissary would be coming. Uh, he came, uh, met with Eisenhower. It was a Saturday. Um, on March 16th, 1957. And uh, anyway, he became the guest of our government for three years. And he came with a design that was to help eliminate sickness, disease, and poverty, prolong life, talk to them about the dangers of atomic weapons that they've been using since 47. Uh, free energy, pollution, the whole gamut, and to sort of introduce him to the way things work in the universe. So um, uh, Eisenhower and Nixon were very receptive. Um, They were all for this plan. And uh, over the course of these three years, uh, they would discuss it. And then if, if, if it got approved by all the powers that be, meaning, you know, the military and uh, CIA and NSA and uh, all of that, um, then it would go, they would implement it throughout America and when proven successful, then through the rest of the world. Now, here's just, I'm just going to give everybody a little bit of facts. So Valiant Thor comes at that time also in the 50s is a Venusian man named Orthon who meets with George Damsky and talks to him about a lot of these same things. Also in the 50s, a Venusian man named Saul Gonda lands in, uh, in Landers, California. George Van Tassel out at Giant Rock is running the airport and he lands his ship in the middle of the night, and George slept outside because it was hot in the summertime. And the being approached him and brought, uh, asked him if he would like to see a ship. And, of course, George, uh, George uh, worked for Howard Hughes and many other aircraft things, so he loved to see how things flew. Um, the man was human. He was about, you know, five, seven, short blonde hair, um, and uh, anyway, uh, he gave him um, the blueprints through time um, 
on how to build the Integratron, which would um, rejuvenate your cells and prolong your life. So there were several people coming at that time bringing forth this information, which I want a lot of people to know. There were, there, and, and there were other, there were other um, human ETs that also came, but those were the three main, uh, main ones. So, so in the end, they turned down Valiant Thor's proposal for the reason being that it will put doctors, nurses, pharmaceutical companies, everybody out of business. And um, it would totally crash the economy. But in hindsight, um, everyone would just automatically, like up there, everyone does different jobs. So, for instance, on Valiant Thor's craft, which is called Victor One, um, there, I have a poster on the website that actually has the blueprints to Victor One. Um, now, it holds 200 people, and it's double-deckered. So 30% of that crew is rotated out every 60 to 90 days, and then they go to another craft, and they learn and they do another job. So as you're learning and growing, and remember, they live a very long lifespan, thousands and thousands of years. And so, so they change out, and they all learn different jobs and things. It's not, it is definitely not a lazy society because if one person is not performing their job, it puts a, it puts a cog in the wheel, right? So mm-hmm. everybody does their share and is very happy to learn because they're brought up that way. So this would have been um, uh, the way here. And also, uh, everyone started to get rejuvenated and um, uh, and start to learn how to become fully conscious, right? Because we're a dualistic society and things like that. So there there was a very long program that 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 could have been implemented, but was not. And sadly, so um, uh, that Eisenhower and Nixon didn't see it come to fruition because they were really for it. Um, said Dr. Frank. So, so he did, uh, Valiant Thor did come back one year later, March 16th, uh, 1961. Uh, he got in touch with Dr. Frank um, and they saw each other from time to time. And uh, Dr. Frank ended up writing uh, Stranger at the Pentagon, which was the vignettes of the stories uh, about Valiant Thor. And it was released in 1967. Um, and Dr. Frank was uh, invited on board Victor One for the very first time in 1967 or 68. What was the year Bobby Kennedy died? 68? Was it 68? Because it was the day he died that he was yeah, invited on board. I think so. Craft. Yes. Yeah, whatever that day was, that was the day that he was invited on board that craft. So, um, but um, I remember that uh, Dr. Frank told me that uh, Valiant told him to drive down to Encinitas, park his car there. He would come get him. A boat picked them up. They The boat went way, way out into the middle of the ocean where the craft was, and then they brought the boat up into the craft. 
and then took off from there. So uh, this is when he first met uh, all four vice commanders, Teal, Fawn, Dawn, and Zan. And in the famous photograph of Valiant Thor taken at the Howard Menger farm, um, that is with his vice commander, Dawn, and the blonde woman sitting next to Dawn, her name is Jill, and Jill is the wife of Vice Commander Zan. So, uh, and then there's another created being uh, from Melchizedek that is on board uh, Valiant Thor's craft as a permanent fixture. His name is Yanaya, and, um, uh, and his associate's name is Yeo. And if people are really interested in learning more about Melchizedek, uh, we, I do have the Melchizedek in the E.T. Almanac, and also Adama is a Melchizedek master who is the teacher uh, for the underground city here on Earth and Telos, which is below Mount Shasta. So, um, so we do have a beautiful artist rendering of Adama, also of Father Melchizedek, and also of Machaventa Melchizedek as well uh, in the book. So, so that's the Valiant Thor story. You can read more about it on the website and, uh, of course, in the book. And we're still um, uh, raising money for the feature film. So all you millionaires out there, call me so, uh, <laughs> so yeah. we can get, well, so we you can know, get it made. I, you 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 successfully did it that way with the with the short film, and uh, yes. which I want to reiterate, um, you've won many awards, took first place time and time again, and and yes. that was crowdsourced because you have to have control. We can't you know you can't have um, right. corporations dictating the truth, so you have right. to be crowdsourced. So. Um, you can if if people went to Stranger at the Pentagon or autobiography of an ET dot com, they can connect with you if they do want to uh, support you and your work um, in that way. Yes, they can okay. email me and, through the website. Yes. Okay. Now we have um, Lightstar um, has been on the switchboard now, listening, and I think it's about time to to bring her online. Oh, and, uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and you know, uh, Lightstar has been on our show. Let me just get your mic open here so I can ask you directly. <laughs> okay. Hi, Lightstar. Welcome back. Oh, hello, hello, everybody. <laughs> Glad to be here. Yay. So, I was so happy and you're I think, here. Yay. I think you've, you've been on the show This is uh, three times, I believe. Twice. I think it's only been twice. I okay, well then this is the third time. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, I want to, I, I want to talk a little bit about your contribution to um, Craig's book um, through your artwork, um, and and then I want to uh, talk a little bit about the light languages that you do so well. So, um, <laughs> Craig, do you want to interview Susan? <laughs> I will. I will. Well, I I was introduced to her website through some friends of mine, and when I saw it and saw her, I went, "Wow, this is such an incredible light being." I have to call her uh, because I was looking for 
artwork of Octurians and Dromedans. And then I saw that she had the original uh, Orions and the Blue Syrians. And so um, she also lent her wonderful channeling uh, information in those sections as well and uh, and graciously allowed us to um, reproduce uh, the pictures. So now I'm talking. I should I should have let you said that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I appreciate the intro there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so. I had a, I had a great conversation with with you, Craig, when we first talked. I just instantly connected. I just really felt your heart. And I was just like, wow, this is so great. And at that point, I had not even watched The Stranger in the Pentagon yet, believe it or not, <laughs> at that time. And Lavendar, like, on the first, even before the first show here, she had told me about that. And I was like, it was on my list for, like, so many years. And I just never And so it was, like, pushing me to finally watch it. And when I did, I was like, why did I not watch this before? Oh, my gosh. It's so good, and it was so well oh. done, and I was just so impressed with uh, with you and, and everything that you put together with that. And so, but it was my honor to, you know, have you uh, have some of my artwork in this book, which I, I really love this book. I've been not reading it completely, you know, front to cover, but just like I pick it up whenever I go, hmm, I wonder about that race, you know, it just kind of <laughs> draws me to a page. Yeah. And I really yeah. like doing that. That's the fun part about it. You don't have to go, you know, right from page one to the end. You can just go wherever you feel like going. <laughs> I love that. That's right. That's right. And Lightstar will be a part of the documentary as well. Yes, I'm excited to uh, do yes. a little filming uh, filming excursion for that. So. I'm excited and yes. I'm really honored and it's going to be uh, really fun. I think for yes. the whole, you know, to get a visual is going to be way better because obviously the book is awesome, but, you know, since the pictures are black and white, it's much better to have them in color so that right. I think that will be great in the documentary. Well, they'll not only be in color, but there are there is a way to make them 3D and animate them as if they're alive. Yes, and I've that's seen what that and done. that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm and like, that's well, what we're doing. I, I, yeah. I got I to say that, of course. I mean, <laughs> Lightstar can do the voiceovers and and speak in their language. <laughs> Oh, that would be funny. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I want to hear you do some light language. I want to hear Pleiadian and Octurian. Oh, yes. I'll absolutely do that for you guys if you want me to. Oh, that's yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I know it's like, okay, just jump right into it. But, you know, I if you want to just became, take it. I, I seem to become the light language lady. <laughs> it's like, well, there's not, there's not many people who do it as well. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's like I've never heard anyone do it. So I would just say, um, you know, you really are good. I'm honored. I really, you know, it's just like I said, it comes from the heart. And I didn't know when I was going to come out with this that I was going to be doing so many different races and tapping into their energies. But I guess when I really started looking into who I was in another realm, and realizing that I'm I'm actually doing this already as the other aspect of me, and uh, so it's kind of hard for the course. 
But I don't do the mm-hmm. translation. I started to do translation with it, and I think I've told you guys on here before. I and still well, and in, in the beginning, I was doing translation. But then they told me not to do the translation for people and to just allow it to come through and let them get their own meanings from it. So I stopped doing that and just let. I know exactly. You know, I don't know the exact word for word. I just know the overall energies of them that are coming through. So. Um, and that's great if you pick those two because Pleiadian energy uh, is very different than the Arcturian, so it'll be very, you know, like different. Okay. Very, yeah. Some mm-hmm. of them are similar, but this, these two happen to be very different. So let me start it off with some Pleiadian love energy, which is always awesome. So as obviously listeners, just put your mind off to the side when you're listening and just go with your heart, opening your heart and allowing whatever uh, messages, insights, healings, whatever wants to come forth, come forth. So here we go. Neala sai hava, shiala kehimi, siratanaya, variansa karehanai, kiala taya, sorai amarata. Hale gale halashana, mariteso varen sarayanda, sariam marea maratas, meritir ale garian sara, varin tir maranteso, sura sura kureyama, hendi ula le suarakayeme, varensia kara. Tara nasea tare, vareakai narataima. And just breathe that energy of love and vibrations of soothing, calming, peaceful, loving energy vibrating through your entire body and energy field clearing out. And I'm also going to move into doing some Arcturian energies. Day Santare, Tetiti and Sa, Tul Sonanatatso, Unsushimiesia, Winshia, Munesi, Wuntasuno, Kuishinisha name to Unsa, Tarananita, Tarananasa, Taramata, Ansuri, Shi, Tiriti Rama, Tisinti Sosonto, Kishwani, and Teso, Mai Kibi, Shinchisho, Taransatu, Tiranata, Tarananate, Saradanata, Aranatar, Unsu, and Terete. Sushishani Wai, Ukai Wai, Tai Sumaya Wenti, Wayin Chiwa, Kiu Winti Sumaya India Wenti, DCTT and Tasosun so so in Shuya Shimia Tian, Santi Tianitina, Taram Tasa, he Kiwa in Kia, the Tasinese Tishanata Sasamatasatu sing, Chishiana Tato, they say Tadananata, Tananani, Tasadanana, Kakuni, Shuan, Siesimashiet. Nanatis Almanasit, Tushinoto Unso Unkaishia Shenan, Malasiente Unteretai. This one was bringing a lot of mind clearing stuff, so if everybody just breathe through and kind of clear the mental field, the mental space, there's a lot of things going on in the planet right now that everyone's mind is getting kind of cleared, so just breathe and clear the mind and the, what I call the mind field, like a mind is our mind field, and 
the Arcturians are just masters at helping to clear the mind. They're like the, uh, it reminds me of these, these incredible ancient, you know, like Chinese or Asian masters. They just have this mm-hmm. like, ability to just clear anything that is, you know, not supposed to be there or, or difficult or stressful or any of that in the mind particularly. So that's just a little uh, energizing and, and yet loving <laughs> embrace from the Pleiadians and the Arcturians. That's that great. was just absolutely like... <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> so, and you've never heard her do that before, right, Craig? I have not. And I will say that uh, when she was doing uh, the Pleiadian, my whole vibration uh, elevated. And mm. when she was doing the Octarians, my mind elevated. So it was interesting yeah. that you said that afterwards. Yep. And, it, and it brought back a memory that Dr. Frank told me, because I asked him, what does Venusian sound like? And he said, it sounds um, uh, like the Asian races, uh, mm. but similar to Korean mm. in a way. Yeah. So, wow, that's Well, I definitely feel the Pleiadian is all about love. So they, they work a lot in the heart and the emotional body and in that center, in that space. Also in the creative field, because they're helping with people with creativity, obviously. Um, but the, uh, the Arcturians bring in a lot of healing energy for mind, and, and they're just incredible healers. Um, one of the best, I think, that I've seen is, in terms of their ability to just clear and pave the way. But their language really came through. I wouldn't even necessarily say if that's their language, but more for me it's like a transmission. And so it's like a bit of like Morse code almost. But, yes, it does have an Asian flavor to it, but it does come in Mm -hmm. like a transmission. Like that's why it's going so kind of rapid and fast. And it's like a what I was getting with that is like a rewiring that happens with that. If you're, um, you know, I'm doing session work with people and I'm doing that, it just tends to, like, rewire and remap uh, your thought processes so that they're clearer and cleaner and not so, like, cluttered and scattered and all that kind of stuff and unfocused. So they tend to be very uh, grounding in the mind. But, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've also received some information from over the years of bringing in languages and different ones and different kinds of of uh, energies that they start to show me different places that they came from in terms of their origination of this sort of vibrational language and the light emission that really came from different places. So if you think about it, where did our languages come from? You know, French, German, Spanish, you know, all these different languages came from somewhere and they had influences from some of these races. That's what I have been getting from it. And so um, the Asian uh, realm, like here on Earth, that whole area of Asia uh, does have influences from Arcturian. They may have other races that also influenced it, like perhaps Venusians, if it sounds similar, it could be there. Um, But there's a race of the phyla beings that I had brought through, and they're a little not as well known, but that race... um, the origins or ties is in the area of like Russia, Mongolia. It's like the some of the area of Mongolia and way over there somewhere. 
that has kind of ties with that. Um, the Pleiadians have ties to a couple different areas, one of them being Hawaii. <laughs> no no mm-hmm. shock there, right? <laughs> right. Um, all the places. So they all have different uh, energies. Syrian uh, has a very Egyptian flavor to it, so it kind of has that sort of mm-hmm. Middle East uh, Egyptian area. And, um, yeah, so they've been starting to show me, like, some of the origins, why it sounds like the way it does. Because someone will go, oh, that sounds like Russian, or that sounds like German, or that sounds like Italian. Or, so I, I, there's reasons for that, for what I have downloaded. And this is just, you know, one stream here, but that's what I've been getting. Yes, and um, in uh, the E.T. Almanac, actually, the race of, they're called Arans, A-R-A-N-S. Um, mm-hmm. They're an Asian race. It's a solar system outside of ours. And there are several other uh, different Asian races within their uh, solar system as well. So mm-hmm. people can read up on that. Yeah. And I, I had a question for you, Craig, while we're, we're talking, because yeah. I was listening to what you were talking about, about Valiant Thor and then him uh, being in the the connection with being a created being. So at the time that you were saying, because a lot of people were saying that he's Venusian and um, coming from right. Venus, but you said there's another being that are a few different beings that came from Venus. So is he not Venusian or is there just a, a crossover there or is it he's, he's just like the Elohim? It's- it's it's there. Um, he's a created being in the sense that he's as old as the universe. So his mm-hmm. origin is the universe. It just so happens that he uh, is also created beings are assigned to different parts of the universe to oversee. Right. And mm-hmm. so his his um, uh, his planet where where he uh chose was Venus, the interior of Venus. And um and that's where uh you know, he's married, he has a wife named Dina and they have mm-hmm. a daughter that was born in the seventies, I believe, or the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um and they named her Val Dina. Mm-hmm. Um so but when, when, uh, and again, this is just me and, and mm-hmm. my connection, I feel that uh, his origins go back to the Pleiades. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of crossover so, there. <laughs> Definitely yeah. feels yeah. like there's uh, a crossover between a lot of these different races as well. And, um, you know, it's it's really interesting because I was doing a video the other day I'm doing a series of like warriors of uh, truth, warriors of light and warriors of love. So I'm doing like three each um, or just one for one video each. And as I was speaking this language, it started to come through as a hybrid language and I'd never brought it through before. And it was a hybrid of Arcturian and Lyran. And I was like, so it was really like, I already speak a Lyserian, but this was like Lycturian is what they told me. And I was like, I didn't even know that existed. So there's so much like crossover with a lot of these beings that I think hybridized, you know, they'll go and then they'll marry someone and then they'll be from a different race or whatever. And then they produce this hybrid. So that's how I think all of us are also hybrids because we're part of, Uh, we all are hybrids. (laughs) Yeah. Really interesting. So it makes sense that it would be, I mean, like if a, you know, a creator being, 
comes and connects with a Venusian being, and then what what that child is created is, uh, and then their children go off and you know mix with a Syrian or mix with a Pleiadian, and so it kind of like creates yes. this mix, and it's really hard to distinguish. Like I know I get people that come to me and say, I just I want to know who I, what race I'm from or what soul origin. So I'm like, well, you're not one thing, first of all. So like, you're multiple different things. So we can yeah. go into that. Stretch yeah, well, as, as above, so below. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I've been, I've been watching this TV show called Finding Your Roots, and they, they trace, you know, bloodlines oh. and ancestry. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you look at people, and they've got, you know, I mean, everybody's a Heinz 57 practically, you know, the a blend so of true. all different kinds of, of, of things. So uh, we, are, we are much more alike and connected than our society would would have mm-hmm. us think, you know. So, yeah. And I wanted to ask. I guess I'll I'll just do it now uh, before we run out of time. Uh, is there more than one feline race? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's people that are probably in touch with multiple different uh, types of felines, types of races, but um, I'm sure that there's more than just a few but I just know of a few yes. of the different ones. Um, well, and, common, and an interesting, I mean, no, I'm just going to say gonna an say, interesting notation is when somebody begins their spiritual awareness and awakening and, and they connect into source, one of the first races that they come in contact with in their mind internet are the feline races. Because they are they they have so much unconditional love as well, so they're sort of like the welcoming committee. Yeah, <laughs> so true. Right. So yeah, I mean, it makes yeah. me think of the movie the movie Avatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that those characters must be based on on feline races. But I know it isn't one of the serious planets a feline or both of them. And Lyran, I, I mean, I, the Lyran is the one that I know I'm connected, have produced a Lyran image, but um, and that does the one that I've created is actually a different one that doesn't look as feline, like a cat-like features. She doesn't have as cat-like features, but there is a, a whole race that's got like very cat-like features, and then there's a race of of the felines that are connected to the energies. They would be more like like feline, but they don't look feline. Does that make sense? They don't look like yes. a cat's face, but they have like those same traits or qualities or characteristics that, of their nature. So, um, the one that I know that for me, the one that's the Avatar uh, movie, really to me, that one actually connects uh, with the Andromedan for myself anyway. It kind of looks very somewhat similar or a similar type, but there's also a Syrian type that looks like that too. So, some of them can look kind of similar. Um, but the feline races, if, you know, people say that if you have this connection to cats, like in this incarnation or you like cats or whatever, I don't know if it always means that you, just because you like cats, that you have the connection to that or you are that. But it means that I feel like you said, Craig, that you're, you've already interfaced with that kind of energy. So you're familiar yes. with it, and it feels good yes. because it feels familiar. Now, some people have fear of cats. <laughs> I know of uh, yeah. a client that has fear of cats, so I I know that, and it's kind of you 
kind of wonder, well, in some cases I have seen this happen where um, some of the, just like in the Orion Wars and some of the uh, negative factions kind of took over and took some of those races and changed them and turned them into, you know, the dark beings or whatever. And some of those beings did get distorted. And that distortion, I think, is what some people have the fear of because um, they were forced to do things against their will or um, things that they weren't, it wasn't of their nature. And they have a recall memory of that. And somehow it comes through when they see the cats in our world. And it's like, Oh my God, no, it has, it has a trigger memory and Uh um, something that needs to be cleared, obviously, but, because there really isn't any reason to be right afraid of a cat, unless you were attacked by, I guess, a lion or a cat in a previous life, which could be too. Life, but, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could be environmental um, trauma. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gosh, you know what? I, I think we're going to have to schedule another show with both of you because we're kind of running out of time, and uh, and I, I know we could keep on going for another hour, but we <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking to ourselves by then. <laughs> so, um, Lightstar, you want to give your website address because I know people are going to want to go look and, and see what you're what you're all about if they don't know you already. Yes, um, I'm at lightstarcreations.com. Just L-I-G-H-C-S-T-A-R Creations with an S on the end. dot com. That's where you can find me and find all my stuff, my art and my music and my oracle decks and all the stuff. I call them, sometimes people say my uh, website looks like eye candy. So that's how it's It right. is amazing <laughs> eye candy. I love her website. <laughs> yeah, that's where you can find me. And thank you so much again for having me on here. I just love you guys and um, love the conversation and uh, really appreciate it. Uh, yes. it's always it's always a pleasure to speak with both of you and um i do want to uh, repeat to uh for craig's um new book you can uh first of all if you if you go on youtube use the link that i have on the show page here because i went and tried to find it just organically and there was another um another video with with narration and it wasn't I didn't think it was nearly as um, impactful as as the one with this link because it's just, you know, it's got the music and it's got really, uh, nobody's talking. It's just the flashing of, of information and scenes. So that's on YouTube. And then uh, Craig has two websites. The first one, strangeratthepentagon.com where you can find all the stuff that he's talked about uh, with Valiant Thor and Dr. Frank Stranges. And then um, he, <laughs> Craig is very prolific. He's also got a, a trilogy, um, Autobiography of an E.T. He's got three books in that series. series but if four, you go books. To, four books. Oh, four books. Okay. <laughs> I see it's hard. To, you're so prolific, it's just hard to keep up. But if you go to Autobiography of and et.com forward slash other hyphen books there you can get an autographed personally signed copy of the et almanac um from yes. craig i highly recommend that yes. because it is well my autobiograph i'm very excited i highly recommend that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'm i'm sure i mean this is the first book of its kind 
So, yes. you know, 100 years from now, this can be a collector's item. So make sure you get your signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> and and um yeah, and it's uh, also I mean it's it's available at all the uh, all the book outlets where you'd expect it to be. Um and also the uh the short um film Stranger at the Pentagon is on that website as well as Amazon Prime. And when you watch the credits, I love that you put every single person's name. You know, Starcy sure Hotline's did. on there. Every everybody <laughs> that donated to make that thing possible, um, you acknowledged yeah. every single person. So the credits are really long, but it just goes to they show how much are long. You but had. you don't have to watch the credits. But the thing was, <laughs> well, if you want to see your name, yeah, build yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. All the the people. Yeah. It was all them. Everyone made it happen. So their energy had to be a part of the actual film. Of course. Of course. And if you uh, if you're just now if you're just now hearing about this, um, Craig's next (laughs) next feat of wonder would be um, the the full length feature film, Stranger at the Pentagon. Yes. And um, we we have we have to have that. So it has to be done. It's just a must, right? It, it has does. to be done, and, and it <laughs> yes. has to be it has to be crowdsourced because yeah. Craig has got to have um, full um, artistic control. Right. The, is that the what they say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to make sure that the information is not true. corrupted. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah. and and actually private financing because we can't crowdsource that amount of money. <laughs> so, oh, you can't. <laughs> shows you how much yeah, I know. Yeah, it's. it's yeah, it's uh, it's too much. So that's why that's why I always say, all you millionaires out there who want to, you know, help get this made, give me a jingle. So. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, we we don't talk a whole lot or focus a whole lot on your 3D um, life and accomplishments, but you have been a multiple award-winning Emmy-nominated casting director, um, and the, your list of credits uh, for the, the movies that you've cast, everyone has seen them. So uh, the, the man behind the scenes. So you've got all those resources with the, you know, yes. with the actors yes. and the costume designers and, I mean, everything on down the line. You've already got that in place, so it's not like, you know, the guy in, in, in Poughkeepsie, New York, that got an idea and is trying to sell people on it. You <laughs> right. know, it's just, nothing against Poughkeepsie. I just happened to see that city today um, um, on print. So, um, <laughs> so you yes, really the do. I mean, really, done, yeah. Everything's ready. Everything's ready to go. We just need the financing. So. Okay, well, yeah, you know, so we can, we can you. make that thank happen. Thank you. you know, and mm-hmm. I think Starseed should step up for that. Yes, it's yes. definitely one of those needed things right now. And if it's anything, even an iota of what it was just in the short film, which I know it's going to be just blown out of the water from that, it's just amazing. Because I thought the graphics in there, everything was just so well done, you know. Oh, and yeah. So it's even yeah. going to be just better, you know. So, yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's world world class, uh, you know, special effects, everything that you would expect mm-hmm. from a Hollywood blockbuster, you know, Craig's got all that taken care of. So uh, it will be yes. a, a first class quality um, product when when it's completed. Yeah. Um, 
so I was just going to say something, and it it fell out of my head. Oh no, my head. Um, yeah, that to me too. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> so I I, I want to thank you both uh, for mm-hmm. spending this time with us and uh, for bringing forward the information. Oh, I just remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> this week we had seven planets in Aquarius. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And Crazy. Lavendar and I were talking about that, and, and we were like, if this is not the official beginning of the age of Aquarius, I don't know what is. You know? I mean, I'm seven planets in Aquarius, so we're going to see a lot of innovation, uh, yeah. freer thinking, uh, people going outside the box, more, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood, more humanitarian things. So, yeah, and um, I, you know, I am an Aquarian, so I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> for, oh, oh well, for a really long time, waiting for everybody to catch up to this because all of the Aquarians are like, okay, already, we already are this, so let's go. <laughs> God, was your birthday just recently? It's January 23rd, so. Um, okay, so you're an oh, early Aquarian. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so, yeah, everybody. Enjoy the Aquarian energy. You have to expect the unexpected, and um, and if you're if you are um, if you've been oppressed, this is a time when people are going to say enough, because that's what Aquarius does. It, it cannot be stifled, and the creativity has got to flourish. So um, I just wanted to throw that yeah, throw that in there because you are definitely... you are both so on time. It's being a spotlight on the whole world right now. Everything is being put under the spotlight, which is good because it all has to be seen. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we got to clean out those corners and throw out those boxes and, 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 you know, kind of have a clean slate on a lot of different areas. And this Aquarian energy will help us with that. So, thank you both. Sorry, we didn't. Sorry we didn't get a chance to see or talk with Lavendar, but hello, Lavendar. We love you. Yes. Uh, Hi, Lavendar. Yeah. We love you. We miss you. So I hope she has some, uh, said her power was out. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. They've, yeah. Got, they've got snow on the ground with a big storm, oh. um, and and it, it took out the power, and it, it, was, it came on for a little bit, and then it went off again. Um, so, and I hope that it comes on so that they can sleep yeah, yeah. comfortably in Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. But uh yeah, I know she was she was disappointed that uh that she couldn't be here tonight, but you know she loves you and well, um we'll come back. We'll come back. Yeah, again. you'll come back. Yes. You'll come back. Another time. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much to both of you for the work that you do um separately and together uh on this on this yes. book. And I know yeah. that a lot of people a lot of people are going to go for this because it's really a definitive work. And not just, you know, some pictures that somebody imagined and drew up. You've got real, you know, facts that came um, along with these images um, on what these, right. what these races are about. And I think it's important, you know, because most of them are benevolent, but there are some stinkers out there that, there uh, that are, they're, they're, they're more yeah. concerned with, you know, their own agenda than okay. assisting humanity. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's good to know, you know, you don't get, uh, uh, if some race gets romanticized, uh, 
and and they're really you know a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. So mm-hmm. this this book will put a lot of that to rest. So it's very important work. Thank you. Okay, it is well, so awesome. <laughs> I'm giving you both a big hug. Thank you so much for being yeah. with us. And uh, you know we'll we'll be talking to you again in the future because I just we so enjoy having both of you. Uh, oh, that's so awesome. Individually, and, but and together just, is a special treat. Okay. I just had to say, I yes, just looked for at, sure. I love this. <laughs> and my clock just pulled Thank up one eleven fifty five. Wow, great number. Oh, nice. (laughs) Okay. That was great. All right. Well, that's a a good exit Uh, point. Yeah. All right, guys. Lots of love. And to you as well. Lots of love. We will be back. Thank you. You're welcome, Craig. (laughs) We'll be back um, next week. I mean, sorry, in two weeks, introducing our new team and um, let you get to know them. And until then, make sure that you try to find your gratitude in every day. There's so much we take for granted. Find your gratitude and show compassion because that is the door to 5D. Until next time, bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.